Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and you are listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast. Crafted by me, a self-confessed history geek who enjoys those stories from the past that might have been forgotten. The Backtracker History Show is first aired on Bradystoke FM in Bristol, England, before being plonked onto the podcast stage for all to enjoy. Now, if you enjoy the show, don't forget to share or leave feedback. It all helps. Keep in touch via either Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK. we'll be talking about someone who was described as one of the most famous impostors that ever lived. This cheeky little minx began her amazing adventure into the history books when she appeared in Almondsbury near Bristol in the southwest of Great Britain. I am of course talking about Princess Caribou. The year is 1817, when John Constable painted Flatford Mill. Elgin marbles were displayed at the British Museum, and Jane Austen passed away in that December. It was only then that her brother, Henry Austen, revealed to the world that Jane was in fact the author of such great literary works as Northanger Abbey and Persuasion. 1817 was also the year that was going to change the history of the small village of Almondsbury on the outskirts of Bristol forever. On Thursday the 3rd of April, events unfolded quickly and brought the village notoriety when an extraordinary young woman was discovered wandering the streets, speaking a language that no one could understand. The Bath Chronicle described her as wearing a black gown with a muslin frill at the neck. Around her shoulders, she wore a red and black cotton shawl, and a black shawl as well, instead of a cap or bonnet covering her head. On her feet, she had black worsted stockings and leather shoes. In height, she was about five foot two inches. Her eyes and hair were black, her forehead low, her nose short, her mouth wide, her teeth white. Her lips were large and full, with the upper lip projecting, her chin small and round. Her hands were clean and did not appear as if used for labour. She seemed to be about 25 years old. When she was found, she was exhausted and starving, and her entire possessions were wrapped up in a small cloth bundle, and she was speaking in an incomprehensible language. The locals watched as she knocked on the door of the village cobbler and uttered strange words to the owners. The cobbler realised eventually that the woman was asking for food and shelter. But then, when he realised that she wanted to sleep there as well, the cobbler's wife became wary. So, the woman was sent to Knoll Park House, the home of Samuel Worrell in Knoll. 
the town clerk of Bristol and the local county magistrate. Mr. Worrell's wife, Mrs. Elizabeth Worrell, was fascinated by her exotic appearance, but Mr. Worrell was more suspicious, asking if she had any papers with her. The girl emptied out her pockets, but all she had were a few halfpennies and a bad sixpence. Now, having counterfeit money at that time could mean the death sentence, but the girl did not seem to understand the seriousness of the offence. The only other thing she had in her possession was a bar of soap pinned inside a piece of linen. Worrell then asked to look at the girl's hands. They were soft, showing no signs of hard work, and her fingernails were clean and well cared for. Being a magistrate, it would have been out of the question for Mr. Worrell to allow this woman to stay with him, considering she was carrying a legal tender. So, Elizabeth took her to the local bowl inn, where the woman recognised a print on the wall of a pineapple and called it Nana's, the Indonesian name for that fruit. After that, the witnesses assumed that she must be from the same location, which was Asia. Elizabeth Worrell soon invited the woman back to Knoll House and learned that the girl's name was Caribou and that she had come to England in a ship. Caribou was particularly impressed by various pieces of furniture showing Chinese figures. Perhaps China was her original homeland. There was only one problem. She was entirely European in appearance. In the Worrell's home, she behaved very oddly, declining all meat and eating only vegetables and drinking only water. Now, Mr. Worrell and his Greek manservant were still suspicious, so the magistrate decided to take her to the mayor in Bristol to be tried, which could mean serious trouble, especially as she'd been found in possession of illegal tender, the dud sixpence. The mayor could get nothing intelligible from the girl, except the name Caribou, and so followed the law in such cases and sent her to St. Peter's Hospital for vagrancy, whilst further inquiries were made. At the hospital, she refused to eat or sleep, and as word spread, visitors would come to try and figure out what language she was speaking. Mrs. Worrell ended up taking her to her husband's offices to be cared for by a housekeeper before eventually bringing her back to Knoll Park House. And it was here that they insisted that she stay with them as their guest. Now, the Worrells would invite the greatest linguists of the day to visit, but none could figure out what language she was speaking. The princess would entertain her hosts with various fantastic dances. She also excelled in swimming, diving and archery. She would even swim naked in the lake when she was alone. Her authenticity was verified by a Dr. Wilkinson, who identified her language using Edmund Fry's Pantographia and stated that marks on the back of her head were the work of Oriental surgeons. By now, she'd become quite the celebrity and acquired exotic clothing, had her portrait painted several times and even had a ball in her honour in Bath. (music) 
This is Alice on the Backtracker History Show, and I'd like to say a huge thank you to all those of you who have taken the time to get in touch with me. It's greatly appreciated, and I do endeavour to reply back. And now we have the word of the week. Now this is a good one. This week's word is quacksolver, which means a person who dishonestly claims knowledge or skill in medicine. A peddler of false cures. Mm. Now that's just one of 30 words that were rediscovered by boffins back in 2017. We continue with our story about Princess Caribou. She had a ball in her honour held in the assembly rooms in Bath, and when she made her entrance, the crowd were in such awe you could have heard a pin drop. The Barnsley Chronicle describes her attire that evening as such. She wore a loose but clean robe of rich colours threaded with gold, sleeves reaching only her elbows could not conceal the exquisite moulding of her well-toned arms. A broad embroidered band was fastened about her neck and supple waist, in which was struck a small but rudely fashioned knife, her constant companion. Her hair, magnificent, was worn as usual in broad braids, and on one side of her well-poised head were fastened seven peacock feathers in the form of a waving crescent. One of the guests at the event was a Portuguese traveller who had spent much time in the Indies. When he was presented to her, he claimed to be able to understand her. He went on to translate that she was from an island called Javasuin, the East Indies. Her mother, the Queen of Javasus, was killed during a rebellion. She had tried to escape with her father but he was shot. While she was hiding in her garden with three other women in attendance, she was gagged and bound and carried off by a pirate crew and sold to the captain of a brig to which she had been then transferred. This brig was anchored at port for two days where four other females were taken in. They travelled for 16 weeks, stopping off only once somewhere. When she jumped overboard at seeing land, she found herself on the Gloucestershire coast of the Bristol Channel and wandered around for six weeks until she arrived at Almondsbury. Now, when this story became public knowledge, the great and the good of nobility flocked to entertain her and she became the toast and bell of the season, with many men of wealth, fortune and rank offering themselves as her suitor. Poems were dedicated to her, and great scholars sought to gain more information about the unknown island of Javasus. One Dr Wilkinson wrote letters to the London newspapers about her. She'd sometimes entertain them by speaking in her own made-up language. When she left the house, she would wear a turban. Meanwhile, back in Bristol in early June, a Mrs Neal, the owner of a Bristol lodging house, read the description of the princess in the Bristol Journal and recognised her immediately. She then went along to one of the many appearances of Princess Caribou and when she entered the room, promptly exclaimed, Bless my soul, are you a princess? Why, you are Mary Wilcox from Witheridge. 
a couple of months earlier, Caribou had been a lodger at a house which she kept with her daughters. Now this shocked Mrs. Borrow and she confronted Caribou with this information. And after some resistance, Princess Caribou eventually broke down and admitted the truth. Coincidentally, in a very broad Devonshire accent. At roughly the same time, Mr. Worrell had also received word from academics about Caribou's native script, which he had earlier asked her to write down and sent off to Oxford University for examination. The academics described it as a humbug language and treated it as a joke. What all those that came to see her and examine her didn't realise was that, well, they thought she couldn't understand English. So they spoke freely in front of her, saying such things as, if she was from Siam, she would recognise an elephant. Now, this would give Princess Caribou a hint of what to react to. But that wasn't her real name, was it? In fact, her real name was Mary. This week is The Last Days of Leader Grey by Essie Fox. Now, this was the historical book of the month for October 2016 by the Sunday Times. And when I read it, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. It starts off in the sweltering heatwave of 1976 with a young journalist called Ed Peters. But it takes us far, far back, into the world of silent films and all the glamour that comes with it, and a story of a film star called Leda Gray. Now, Ed is a little fed up with work in the big city, and he packs his bags and heads off for a break. At a seaside resort, he comes across an old curiosity shop and finds a photograph of an actress from the early movies. Her eyes, her hair, her alluring beauty seem to call out to Ed. And to his utter amazement, he discovers that her name is Leda Gray, and she still is in residence, living as a recluse at her home, Whitecliff House. He decides he wants to interview her for his column, and as he does, he gets sucked into the details of her life in the early movie business, and the eventual tragedy that happens at the end. continue our story about Princess Caribou, or if you were to call her by her real name, Mary Wilcox, Nee Baker, daughter of Richard Baker, a lame shoemaker in Witheridge, Devon, which is about 18 miles from Exeter. Her date of birth was the 7th of February, 1829, and her initial training was in spinning wool and weeding corn. From the age of 16, she went into service But she found the work too much and took to wandering from village to village, begging. She ended up, though, in Middlesex Hospital in London with a brain fever and on recovery went back into service where she stayed for three years, but left 
after an argument with the lady of the house. It appears that she learnt some Hebrew or there from the Jewish neighbours, with whom she was very friendly. After leaving London, she dressed as a man and made her way back to Witheridge, where her parents advised her to go back into service. There was a terrible snowstorm one winter, and Mary was buried in snow and not found until late the next day. It was then that Mary decided that the country life was not for her and left again, heading back towards London. There she married, but her husband left her to go to France just before she had a child, whom she gave up to a foundling hospital in London. Unfortunately, that's where it died. Mary left London and joined some gypsies in Exeter before travelling to Bristol. This is when she lodged with Mrs Neil for three weeks at one shilling a week. It was Mrs Neil's lodgings that for fun she dressed up in a turban and walked the streets. One of the other lodgers went with her as she begged from house to house, speaking gibberish. She raised an amazing five shillings. While she was making plans of what to do with the rest of her life, she made inquiries at the docks about passage to America. She was offered a trip for five pounds that was due to sail in 15 days. Mary decided that more begging was in order to get the funds and so she left her belongings at Mrs Neil's house and headed off in her exotic disguise. At the house of Lord Clifford's, she was taken in and his French cook tried to talk to her. In the end, they thought she was Spanish and the cook was preparing to take her to a local Spanish family, but Mary grabbed her stuff whilst no one was watching her and hid nearby. Apparently she couldn't sleep that night for laughing at how the household couldn't figure out if she was a fraud or an axe murderer. the initial shock, the reaction to the royal imposter was amazement, and not a little admiration. The press made her into a working class heroine who had deceived high society and exposed the upper class vanity. Surprisingly, it was Mrs Worrell who supplied the now disgraced Mary with clothes and passage to America, where she promised to begin a new life under the care of some Moravian ladies who were going to settle in Philadelphia. Now, there's a strange side to this story. It claims that on her sail to America, the ship she was on, the Robert and Anne, ran into a storm and had to deviate its course by heading towards St. Helena, then swerving back out to sea. It left behind a little rowing boat that made its way to the shore. Out stepped a young woman who claimed to be, wait for it, Princess Caribou of Gervasus. She said that she knew a famous man was in exile there and he had a strange connection to her fate. Sir Hudson Lowe heard about this woman and was so convinced after speaking to her that he introduced her to his famous charge, Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, the Felix Farley's Bristol Journal of September 13, 1817 states that the princess then told a strange story of adventure 
that captivated Bonaparte's imagination and he cheered up from his all-consuming despondency, even hinting to his keeper, Sir Hudson, that he intended to divorce his then-wife, Maria Louisa, so that he could marry Caribou. Bear in mind that Farley's journal states that this all came from letters from the governor of St Helena and also from private letters. Mary returned to England in 1824 and started to recreate Princess Caribou in her new Bond Street lodgings and for the price of one shilling she would tell you exactly what life was like. Now this show travelled to Bristol and Bath but was not successful. Mary subsequently travelled to France and Spain but returned to England to marry a Robert Baker who was 10 years older than her and they settled down in Bedminster in Bristol where they had a daughter called Mary Anne in 1829. Ironically, after spending three months of her life living in the fantastical guise of Princess Caribou she hated it when the children would yell caribou at her in the streets of Bristol. With a strange change in vocation, she made a decent living selling leeches to Bristol Infirmary Hospital until she died on Christmas Eve, 1864, aged 75, of a probable heart attack. She was buried in Hebron Road Burial Ground, Bedminster, Bristol, and lies there still in an unmarked grave. The management of the 1994 film Princess Caribou starring Phoebe Cates said that if the film was a success they would fund a memorial for her grave but unfortunately that was not to be and she lies somewhere within a very small graveyard tucked away behind some houses off the main high street. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background? That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>